0: You know what I want. Not Samson, Greg. Not Samson. Not what? Hey, that's pretty bad. But it's not that bad. I mean, the Mavericks are a good team. The Raptors obviously lose this game. 136 to 25 but a catchphrase is a catchphrase or like there's two versions of it and we were pretty limited over here but I think that the Raptors lose a game where they competed pretty well they threw the kitchen sink at Luca and Kyrie defensively and those two it turns out are like some sort of fast acting cleaning agent that's able to you know clean up the sink that's thrown at them or something like that. I don't know where the analogy is going or the metaphor, but the Raptors, they play a pretty fun brand of basketball. They lose by 11 to the Mavericks. The Mavericks get like one of their better shooting performances from their ancillary guys. They get really impressive shot making from Kyrie in this game. Kyrie really picked it up as the Raptors overloaded on Luka. And Luka, I think, had a great sense of what the Raptors were trying to do to him and probed with a live dribble started to get deeper into the paint, had a pretty good sense by the second half of where the Raptors were tagging from, how effective those tags were. And then especially, I think the the Mavericks as a whole got a really good sense of what the Raptors were trying to do as far as like stunting towards the ball and stunting towards the middle. You know, Jacob Tarasov says, I think the Raps are playing decent Dallas, just better. That's probably the truth of it. The Raptors, yes, they've won three in a row. They got Of course, the pizza party, which I think is happening tonight or tomorrow night. I'm not sure which one. But I do think that they've definitely picked up steam, you know, on the Raptors show today. I didn't get to watch it, but S posted a video where he was discussing, you know, the differences in defensive attention and things like that. The Raptors definitely have been able to kind of like, I guess, bring up the ante on that side of things. And then on top of that, I think that their offense in the last 17 games, I think they've only had three above average half court offensive performances. The half court offense, as much as I think people, you know, because it's like a new play style, as much as people, I think, like how new things look, the efficacy of the half court offense has actually been quite bad. The thing that's saving it, I think, is you get a lot more of Scotty going downhill, you get a lot more of Perdle playing, which is a big deal. And they're rebounding the hell out of their own misses, which gives them a lot of extra opportunities. I wonder if we've ever seen that before anywhere. So there's some interesting shooting stuff that's been coming along for the Raptors from like Grady. RJ obviously has a good shooting night tonight, like four of six, nine of 16 overall. Scotty, I think 19 points on 22 shots, but overall still a battering Ram, still creating offense and creation opportunities. And honestly, this Raptors team, they're finding things. Emmanuel quickly was awesome tonight, 28 points, nine assists. And my favorite thing was that he kept getting deep in the paint with a live dribble. And that is one of my favorite things is because I've talked about this many times, but Emmanuel quickly is like, he quickly picks up that dribble, gets himself into trouble on his last step. And in this game, especially in the first half, I think we saw a lot of success probing into the middle of the lane a la a guy who always keeps alive dribble on the other end luka Doncic, and he was able to create like scoring opportunities for his teammates he was able to turn that into a little bit more gravity and he was able to confuse and contort i think the mavericks defense more consistently in this game and the mavericks defense isn't they're not home run hitters they're not super impressive but the raptors they found their way to getting to their spots they scored decently well it's just early on in this game we see them playing pretty aggressive defense against Luka Doncic, this is kind of what everyone should have been expecting, is you want to rely on your length and your athleticism. So you blitz at the point of attack. If you're blitzing at the point of attack, what is the natural outlet? The natural outlet is probably the short roll. Okay. What do you do? You blitz the short roll too. You bring a guy to step up to that rotation so you can be a ball hawk against it. The Raptors go for that. What's open next? The corner, okay, then you put a guy in a free safety role and you ask him to try and like pressure those passes that Luka's going to try and make over the top. And the Raptors, I think, threw a couple different coverages at the Mavericks early on, which confused a lot of their looks and stopped Luka from getting that downhill momentum. Both Scotty and Jakob, I thought in particular, did a really good job of setting the edge of this screen navigation and making sure that Luca had to take negative dribbles backwards. Of course, Luca is a guy who can take negative dribbles and still create incredible looks. But the real breakdown for the Raptors in the 40 point third quarter that the Mavericks got in the eventual like shakedown to get to 136 points over the course of the game was the fact that Luca stopped taking negative dribbles, started taking progressive dribbles, started throwing lobs, started spraying to the corners, started taking shots inside the paint. And the Raptors, they were able to keep him at bay for a little while, impressively so. Um, he, you know, I talked about Jakob Pertl, I talked about Scottie Barnes, but I think RJ also had some really nice possessions defensively on Luca. And honestly, a part of that too is like the Raptors, they couldn't really afford to throw all of their attention at Luca, no matter what because guess who started popping off in this game? Kyrie Irving came alive in the second half, finishes with 29 points, three assists, rarely had to try and play make out of those positions because the Raptors were collapsing on Luka, the ball goes out, or they're like putting so much pressure on Luka with their second side stuff that they're always aware of where he is. You know, Kyrie, he's one of the best scorers in the NBA. He's so comfortable getting to his spots. And on a lot of teams, he would be the best scorer on the team. On this Mavs team, he happens to play next to Luka Doncic, but he can just sleepwalk to 29 points on like a vast array of moves just like incredible Um, Kyrie he's a treat to watch I like uh, he had this move and I tweeted about this but he had this move against Wemby right where he like stab stepped under the rim popped out on the other side and like flicked it and to evade Wemby and you're just like he's such an artist and he's able to meet the moment in like a really wonderful way and I've always enjoyed the pageantry and the artistry that Kyrie's able to bring to the game of basketball. And you could see it in this game. Like there's a million in and out dribbles while he's going full speed, where he shifts the guy completely out of the lane who's dropping. And that in and out dribble, his gyration and quickness is so quick getting to the inside and then popping back out. He's just like existing in two places at once. He keeps the dribble low. He, yeah, you know, GPWW says the left-handed layover, yuck! my God, it really. Just like sweeping through the lane, getting to whichever hand he wants, putting the shot up. Just incredible. Um, and that's their secondary guy. And then on top of that, too, you have Daniel Gafford, six for seven in this game. Derek Lively four for four in this game. What is their shot die comprised of? Luka Doncic getting downhill and throwing that lob. And even like there was this one play, Grady was the tagger, and Grady had a good tag. I believe it was Daniel Gafford who was on the other side, but the Raptors make Luca take that negative dribble. Luca goes airborne. He's going to throw the pass. Grady's job now as the guy in the weak side corner is to get to where the roller is to try and dissuade Luca. Grady stunts over, like all the way over, but still wants to be able to catch back up to the the corner if the ball goes over the top. Luca in air waited for that hesitation and then throws a missile right down the middle to Gafford. It's like There's a lot of guys at the point of attack, creators, and I expect Scotty to be this level of passer. He's maybe not quite there because of the live dribble stuff yet, but I expect him to be the type of guy who makes, gives defenses these types of headaches, but Luca goes airborne and passers are usually just saying like, is the tag there? Is the stunt there? Okay. The other read. And most passers I think would have seen Grady standing there and would have just went to the corner. And Grady wasn't gonna intercept that pass, but he could have had a controlled closeout and maybe caused a reset. But what Luca does is he sees that in air, Grady's momentum has stopped, Gaffords is still moving forward, and just boom, right down the middle. We're gonna and like the, I'm not talking about this to like glaze Luca up or anything like that, but I just think look out for this kind of stuff because Scotty Barnes is eventually going to be able to do that at some point in time. And I think has a really good read, maybe not in like pick and roll coverages yet, but has a really good read of, as all the best passers in the world do, reading momentum from the defense. Kyle Lowry was maybe one of the best at this and underrated because his numbers weren't like the assist numbers weren't that crazy over his prime, let's say not until Kawhi was there when he went to like nine assists per game, but reading momentum of defenders. You're not just seeing a defender in a place. You're seeing where their movement is taking them once you actually make the decision you're going to make. And Luka is, you know, YG7 here says, Luka Doncic is a basketball savant, should be an all-time great when it's all said and done. Yeah, I totally agree. Also, Amit (laughs) compliments my arms. Thank you, Amit um ngpww says reading defensive leverage is so important on the fly. Um we can use that as an example to kind of segue into Scotty. So Scotty, I think his true shooting percentage is probably close to like 52%. His field goal percentage is probably around like 44% since I think Pascal got traded and some of that is tied into I think, you know, a really nasty streak from three-point land, but Scotty, what I've really loved is as that efficiency has dipped, he's kind of like stiff-armed it and said, I'm still going to get up the volume. Like tonight, he shoots 41% from the floor, 0 of 5 from 3, 1 of 3 from the free-throw line. That doesn't matter to me as much from like a, you know, progression point of view or from, you know, a development point of view as 22 shots. And some of those shots are just like he's battling under the rim and trying to get putbacks up. But 22 shots, seven assists, a big load of creation that he's able to kind of like step out there, keep pressing, keep trying to provide for the team. It didn't turn out in this game. And he did get locked into some like, I don't know, less than ideal isolations and stuff like that. But honestly, the way he's been able to push Against primary defenders, the way he's been able to push as the number one guy that other teams are looking to like attack defensively, really impressive. Maintaining volume and like not cratering your efficiency is a hallmark of some of the best players of all time as they made that step up to the next level. Eventually, they reach the point where that efficiency starts creeping back up. I hope that by the end of the season we see Scotty kind of getting a little bit more into that. that group of players but if that's a next season thing if that's over the next two seasons thing that's okay too but 19 points you know 11 boards five of them offensive seven assists three steals and a couple of them really nice too you know there was the double the blind double on Luca where Luca's spinning into the lane the moment he turns his head from Scotty who was you know gapping him in the driving lane Scotty attacks the dribble steals it goes coast to coast contact dunk no call super impressive defensive play there and then on top of that too i think we're looking at like he's hanging out in the lane and he got a couple of those steals off of luca where luca scotty's standing still he's waiting for luca who goes airborne on a lot of these passes to give the tell Where's Luka going to try to go? And then Scotty, you know, coming from that standstill, using his length to occupy these passing lanes, making a lot of those skip passes along the baseline more difficult for Luka, a lot of those like swing passes that he loves a lot more difficult, and just generally being a hawk in the lane. Very impressive. And, and Jakob as well, I thought was like really impressive defensively for long portions of this game. He was a minus one tonight, 16 points. I think that his release valve stuff in the middle of four was absolutely pivotal to what the Raptors were trying to do offensively. We've seen a lot of teams switching those actions where Scotty's on ball. We've seen a lot of teams switching not only the on ball stuff, but the off ball stuff. And the Raptors being able to go to Jakob in the middle of the floor as kind of like a connective tissue if they want to get a post entry to Scotty on one of those mismatches that is getting switched is great. Um, If there's a push switch in the pick and roll where Scotty has an opportunity to like enter into an isolation, back a guy under the rim. And then when he brings that secondary help, Jakob shapes to the ball, gets the ball like eight feet from the rim, is able to hit a pop shot working off of RJ Barrett, especially to RJ, 26 points, six assists, one turnover, five rebounds, 56% from the field. Like really, really four of nine from the free throw line, which obviously is not great. Um, he was 44%. Scotty was 33% from the line. Not ideal. But Jakob, I think, was absolutely pivotal in the middle of the four and has been really impressive over the last however long. I think S had a tweet where he said um, that Jakob was playing all defensive level defense over the past month, which I don't agree with. Not because it, not because Jakob hadn't been good, but like there's only two defensive teams, and centers are really good at defense in the NBA. I don't know if Jakob's been a top-two center, but he's been great. He's been very, very impressive on that end. And I think offensively, too, I've talked about this, you know, the Claxton, you know, hypothetical Claxton stuff versus the Jakob stuff is like Jakob being a groundbound finisher and a guy who shapes really well to some of the Raptors players, I think does, I think it fits a guy like Quickly better. I think it might fit a guy like Scotty better. I think it might fit a guy like RJ better and their proclivities as playmakers. I think it's been really impressive the way he's been able to fit as he's come back as he's gotten healthy and the Raptors, I think that this is a team, obviously they haven't won four in a row. It stopped at three. It stopped at the pizza party, but we're looking at a team that is starting to like calcify what they think their image is, calcify and solidify what they want to be, how they want to approach these games. And a loss to Dallas doesn't undo any of that. I think the momentum is clear and they, they have, um, you know, they have momentum in what they want to do. And you can see it's pretty, like, from game to game, the approach is pretty similar. And that's the hallmark of a really strong team. Of course, against the, the Mavericks, Luka is a player who dictates you do a lot of different things defensively. But what I like is that offensively, the Raptors have been pretty consistent in their approach. And as I said, out of the last 17 games, only three of them, their half-court rating has been above average. The offense hasn't been good by the numbers, but you can see some of the things they're succeeding at that have the legs to grow into something more. For example, like in the fourth quarter, Kelly Olenek's on the floor, Grady Dick is on the floor, Scotty Barnes is on the floor. The the play that they got Grady Dick's one three in this game off of that he made was a split action with Scotty Barnes and Grady. We see the Raptors used to run a ton of these tight little split actions on the inside of the paint, and particularly with Jakob on the baseline as a post-entry guy for Scottie and Pascal. Why? Because it allows either one of them to slip to the rim or create a seal for a post-entry. Scottie Barnes has insane touch on the inside. He's one of the strongest players pound for pound in the NBA. If you give him an opportunity to seal and he has an insane wingspan, his catch radius for post entry stuff is going to be great. You can do a good job of getting him the ball. Running those split actions for Grady with gravity as a shooter and the fact that Scotty has immense gravity going towards the basket means that you're going to create a lot of these defensive hiccups. The one that Grady hit a three on was a defensive hiccup where both players followed Scotty into the paint. Easy passes made out to Grady. That's a bucket. Scotty, it wasn't necessarily on that play. They ran it five times in a row in the fourth quarter and they gained different levels of advantages out of it. They didn't necessarily score out of it, but you can see that that's going to be something that is incorporated as the primary action as a secondary action. And it's kind of like a hub and a safety blanket at any point in the game to be able to get a look. And those are the types of things that like you see, it's going to work in the future. You see it work sometimes now, but it's like, this is what development is inputting new stuff, seeing how the younger players, interface with one another, what their synergy looks like, and then working off of that stuff and building this team with like a certain ideal in mind based off of like continuous motion. A lot of cutting hubs at the elbow where a lot of teams have started to move offense towards, you know, it's not just the Maverick or sorry, it's not just the Nuggets. It's not just the Sacramento Kings. A lot of teams are trying to run offense through there because there is a lot of advantage to having, you know, a live dribble from that point a guy who can operate as a hub and you don't have to waste dribbles if you don't need to, you can have guys darting off of these bigs with gravity who can make great reads over the top or out to the perimeter. And the Raptors are just kind of, you know, getting a taste of what that looks like. And I think it's cool that they're using Scotty as an off ball player in those actions. I'm excited for as it develops and it needs more quickly to become a little bit more diverse in his off ball stuff so that they can run that with Scotty and IQ. And, and I honestly think that especially with Grady, with his size and finishing acumen, I think that there's a possibility that you could put Scotty as the trigger man in these actions. And the trigger man isn't just necessarily the passer. If a team overplays the split action, if the guy kind of like sags off of Scotty, there's tons of work and like room for him to create as an offensive hub um, but we'd be looking at like IQ and Grady running these split actions together. It could be reminiscent, of course, it won't be the same, but it could be reminiscent of Klay Thompson and Steph Curry and Draymond Green. That, that was the play. That was the bread and butter. Everyone said, why don't you just run the high pick and roll with Steph Curry and Draymond Green or Steph Curry plus whoever? And it's like, well, because they like to not have to use dribbles They like the options it gives for backdoor cuts on the same side when a team is loading up on the split action, and they love the backdoor cuts on the weak side that would happen for Klay Thompson like four times a game when teams overload on Curry or they miscommunicate a top lock, all that kind of stuff. Um, The Raptors have possibilities for that stuff going forward, and I'm gone a little bit long on this, but you can see this is like the brainchild. You can see this is where this kind of stuff starts, and... This stuff has an endpoint, and the endpoint isn't right now. The endpoint is way into the future, and with like a much uh, more effective points per possession on it, or points per play. I thought like Kelly was five for ten in this game, had a, a pick and pop that he hit in the fourth quarter, I believe, or late third quarter. He was like thirteen points, two assists, not a not a factor on the glass. But this was a weird glass game because Bruce Brown had eight rebounds and he, he was second on the team in rebounds. And it just seems like when you're looking at a team that's shooting so many threes, when you're having so many guys load up on Luka Doncic, and so many guys are like coming to the ball, you actually don't know exactly how, you know, rebounds are gonna shake out. It's, it's a lot of guys sprinting for loose balls. And in this game, that's why you see like Bruce Brown come away with eight of them. Them's the breaks. Um, Coco says, I'm still getting used to us not having OG's defense on opposing star players have to reset my expectations. Yeah, I guess that that is a pretty good point as well, that the Raptors, they don't, it's a bit different than it has been in years past. But I did like what the Raptors did initially against Luka. I thought that it was effective. And I thought that they did put the pressure on the rest of the Mavericks to like make shots and make reads. And a guy like, you know, Josh Green in this game, I thought really struggled. And then a guy like PJ Washington in this game, I thought was awesome. Not only as, you know, a three-point shooter, obviously finishing... Five of 10 from downtown, 23 points, seven boards, one assist, three blocks. But we're also seeing a guy like that put up 18 shots. He had eight inside the arc. He wormed his way to the rim a couple of times, like Tim Hardaway Jr. It was basically all threes for him. He probably got stuck a little bit in trying to, I don't know, only go for the jumper. And I think that was kind of evident just based off of decision making out of, you know, after timeout plays or like B lobs or anything like that. But yeah um Dawson Ned says not mad at this game freaking love this team think the handling of the subs was rough though hmm I who what are we trying to see like is it that Bruce played more than Grady is it that Kelly played more than Ochai I think Ochai probably eight minutes was like fine Grady playing 18 I I like when Grady goes like 24 minutes sure but the Raptors like Maybe maybe you wanted Wara to be playing instead of Bruce Brown. Maybe maybe the holdup is like Bruce Brown playing 21 minutes as far as like going 0 for 5. It's a tough sell. You know, he did go to the free throw line for five points. But anyway, um, I don't know. I don't think this is a game. I know there's like a strong urge to look at rotations and substitutions anytime, you know, the team loses... But I don't think, like, the switch from, like, Grady to Bruce means that um, that the Raptors win this game or anything like that. I, d- I don't think that there were mistakes left on the, the substitution table. And also, may- like, maybe I can't speak exactly to it because I don't know what I was... I don't know if I was seeing it. But maybe maybe Darko was seeing something defensively that he liked a little bit more from Bruce Brown as opposed to Grady. Although I wouldn't agree with that. But, you know, we have... Four straight Bruce Brown um, comments from YG7, GPWW, Lawrence H. YG7 says, I don't know, Bruce Brown ain't it, man. You know, GPWW says Bruce Brown is proven. Lawrence H says Bruce Brown is doo-doo. YG7 says he's the one player who, whose chemistry seems off. I It's been a little bit confusing as far as like how he's fit in and what's that what that's looked like game to game because he is a player who has really succeeded playing with elite level players. He just won the championship last year and was a major, major part of their, like their everything, not only their rotation, as far as their, like their starting lineup, as far as like having a guy who went for 20 plus in a finals game and like dribbled the ball up the floor in the same fashion that everyone remembers Precious Achua doing against the 76ers and just like canning a pull-up triple. Bruce Brown is good he's just not been good with the Raptors. And I think like, you know, Stevie says, Jokic, mer- Jokic merchant, to be honest. I think that Bruce is a guy who is a multiplicative player. I think that he's a guy who can play off of really like strong other players. And honestly, when we have, or when we're, when I was first talking to Bruce and asking him about his cutting and all that kind of stuff, he was very humble and he just said like, no, that's just cause I'm working off of fantastic players. And then you look and you say, like, well, there's Jokic. There's, like, you know, is Jamal Murray the type of guy he works off of? No, everything surrounding Jokic. But there's also KD. There's Kyrie. There was James Harden. There's just, like, a a glut of Hall of Fame, not even, like, top 50. We're talking about, like, top 30 players of all time. Some guys will have a chance at top 10 there um incredible players that he's always been able to play off of this Raptors team, evidenced again by the fact that the, the half-court offense hasn't been impressive in many games at all lately. Even in the winning streak, they were doing it mostly on defense and in transition. And you know, Caitlin Cooper pointed this out against the Pacers, where the Raptors did have a you know an above-average half court rating. They set the rec right, well not the they have the season high for points off of cuts in a game 33 against the Pacers. So there's there's some other stuff going on there. And and Bruce was a part of that, of course, but yeah, Bruce it just he hasn't fit in as easily. And I think it's probably related to the fact that this Raptors team doesn't necessarily create extra attention. But like I I think Bruce probably would have been a really strong player next to Pascal, <laughs> to be honest with you. And and that's not to say like if Bruce was here with Pascal, this it doesn't mean this team is a playoff team either. It's like They made the decision to move on from Pascal. Look how fun the team has been. This is all good stuff, of course. But like Bruce, there's not a lot of guys seeing doubles on the Raptors right now. There's not a lot of guys seeing like aggressive coverages against them. A lot of this stuff they're playing being played straight up. And then Bruce is like kind of a catch and hold player weirdly in straight up scenarios. Whereas when he's playing with advantage and going downhill and like slipping into space, we see a guy who's like dynamic as a finisher, as a mover, as a passer, and yeah, it's uh, it's tough. YG Seven says Brown's missed transi- transition layup on that pass from Scotty was a momentum killer for sure. I it was a little bit of a momentum killer, but also that probably that probably didn't like make or break the game, you know. But it definitely it was disheartening. I actually missed the layup like that uh, yesterday. <laughs> When I was playing basketball. I, I ran a pick and roll and then they brought two to the ball. It was going to the sideline. I made a jump pass to my roller. And then when they recovered, I cut back in and the the guy at the bottom of the defense stepped up. He made a bounce pass to me and I bricked the layup right at the rim. And they're crazy rims. They're they're nuts. They're like it's it's bad. Bad infrastructure, like the, the glass and the rims, just not good. But, I mean, you brick a layup, you brick a layup. You got to wear that one. Also, I hadn't been to Mexico in a while since I had lived here. Just as an aside, the fact that they don't play with three-pointers and pickup, oh, my God. I can't stand it. it. It bugs me so much. It's like, why did we put these lines on the floor? Why would you play a game without three-pointers? Why? It, it just, it irks me so much. It's like this play the game in a fashion so that like what you do can translate to other versions of the game. When will you ever play without three pointers? You won't ever. Why would you do this? It just bugs me. Um, but, uh, why 7 says, yeah, man, it's the rims. No, it's not the rims. I'm trying to be funny. You see, I mean, that's the joke, but yeah, break the layup. Unbelievable, terrible stuff. Um, GPWW says they don't have threes in Mexico. They have the three point line. People shoot threes when you play pickup. Now this is West coast, Mexico. I, I can't pretend to speak for all of it or anything like that. Mind you, like a game in Mexico city I'd played. They didn't play with threes either. Um, I didn't play any basketball when I was on the east coast of Mexico. So I couldn't say, but no, they don't. They just are like, no, everything's a one. I can't believe it, man. It bugs the hell out of me. It's terrible. Um, But yeah, anyway, back to the Raptors. Let's talk about quickly. Talked a little bit about him earlier on and kind of how he was using the extra dribble, how he had more control in the lane. That's really fantastic. I want to talk about the shooting. This is something I've been paying a lot of attention to, as I've mentioned on the podcast, you know, a few different times. I'm currently collecting quotes and talking to like shot doctors and scouts and coaches about Emmanuel because I want to do this like really big piece on his shooting because he's such a tr- like tremendous shooter, but he's also you know a little bit limited in his versatility to get his shot off. And it kind of goes back to Darko like a month ago, maybe a month and a bit, saying that he wanted to see Emmanuel taking like eight, nine, ten threes a game, even just above the break threes. And that's true, but he needs to be able to manage that volume and his hesitancy to shoot it going to the left is kind of like hampering that volume. And honestly, he's passing up some open space above the break that I think he otherwise could take advantage of. And that would make him a more impressive three point shooter. And that kind of stuff is really important. It's the small things about the game that really allow players to like dominate. It's this like, maybe Scotty Barnes would be better playmaking out of the pick and roll to a lob threat because of his high dribble and the fact that he drives upright. Maybe. Maybe he would be better driving with a groundbound guy because he's managing pace and waiting for a big to come like to overcommit at the bottom. I'm not sure. We look at the film and we try and discern this kind of stuff, but it's the small things that really unlock the the dynamism of like two-man games or your approach in the half court. Scotty in the like big parts of the game. Everything is so easy. He dominates it. But in the smaller parts, it's like, how do we find the ability to, to succeed here with Emmanuel quickly? How do we find him, you know, an avenue to being like a more vaunted pick and roll creator, a more vaunted pick and roll scorer? How do we get even more aggressive coverages from players so that a guy like Bruce Brown can flash middle and can be effective playing off of those types of guys. And in this game, Emmanuel did hit a three fading left. He did use a pound dribble to get square and going right. He doesn't really care about getting square. He'll fade right. He won't fade going left. He does not like that. But I was impressed because he took a high ball screen going left and hit a three out of it. Big deal because your diversity of shot making is really, it lives in the mind of defenses which is why Grady Dick, who is a very diverse shot maker, um, coming off of that curl in the middle of the floor is a really big deal. Being able to hit out of different footwork, being able to hit out of different like left, right or right, left moves with your dribble is really important. And it's just something that we're going to keep on seeing um, out from Grady and from Quickly, two of the most interesting like evaluations of shooters that I've seen in a long time. And because of like some limitations we're seeing from quickly that hopefully we get to see him override. And the fact that he's shooting like 46% from three is it's incredible, you know, and then Grady, I think the three point shot finally coming around after being so bad for a really long time in his rookie season, just something to kind of like obsess over and like, think is super fun. Uh, Micah Zion says, do you think that not fading left is a comfort thing, a strength thing, some secret third thing? I think that it is probably just a comfort thing. I think that like it takes more strength to fade to your shooting arm than it does to fade to your, your guide arm. Because basically what happens is your load, you stabilize across your whole body. Good shooters do the best shooters always do. And quickly is a guy who stabilizes in his legs, of course he does. He's a full body shooter. He's he push and he's also kind of like a push shooter. He has a low pickup. He goes from his chest he he involves his whole body in his jumper this is known grady is more of like a sling jumper grady does use his whole body but he can have a really high pickup at times and he does use kind of that elbow sling and he'll keep a lot of it kind of located in just his arm when you load from your body not loading on the same side typically makes it easier because if you load on your shooting arm side if you do have that strength deficit a lot of times you'll dip on that side and your your body like your your posterior chain will kind of collapse as a shooter that happens to a lot of people they get a little bit bowed on the inside when they fade to their shooting arm quickly doesn't he has the strength to stay straight most people are comfortable pulling up going to their their weak side because they can stabilize on that side and keep their shooting side straight up most players are more comfortable if they're a right-handed shooter pulling up, going left. That's just like what it is. Kawhi Leonard is a guy also, interestingly enough, who's more comfortable pulling up, going right. And similar to IQ, doesn't pull up with a fade to the left, but gets really square and rigid. That's a, that's like one of the interesting comparisons to make. Obviously quickly is going, going to hit more threes over the course of his career, probably than Kawhi Leonard and certainly has a higher three point attempt rate. But yeah, it's interesting. I think it's a comfortability thing. I think that um, Quickly probably just has to, like, get used to his counter, get used like, get more and more shots up, and kind of, like, expand what type of, you know, dribble packages and combos he's able to get his his three-point shots out of. I know these are long, kind of, you know, maybe confusing answers, but I'm trying to describe the, the physical movements so that it's, um, you know, something that's cogent, intelligible, Um, YG7 says, what is your outlook on Gary's long-term fit on this team? Thoughts on his chemistry slash fit with the starters versus Grady? I wrote a piece about this. Um, If you want to get kind of my thoughts on it in more in depth and like with the statistics at the time to support this. But um, I think that what Grady represents is like what could be the end of Gary's spot on the Raptors because of like money stuff. Now, Gary is a guy who's like shot that like he was two of five from the three point line tonight and he was three of eight in this game and he wasn't, I don't think like very impressive. I think some of his ball pressure worked well in this game, but yeah, Um, as far as the Grady versus Gary stuff, I mean, Grady is obviously showing enough using the 13th overall pick on him and the fact that like gary and the raptors didn't come to an agreement on an extension is meaningful the fact that gary is like it's pretty clear that on in a very high functioning offense that his role is going to be paired back from where it was on the raptors or what it used to be right and as far as like his fit going into the future we're talking about a guy who it's probably just going to come down to money I'd Gary, whether he's paid like a lot or paid a little, is not going to be the wall that stops Grady's progression into being the starting two guard someday. Like, like it really, really isn't. And whether it's big money or little money, I think what keeps him on the Raptors is probably just like term on the contract. You know, he he's very professional. He's really well liked. He is limited as an offensive decision maker for sure. And he is limited as a defensive player what can help paper over those limitations? If it's, if he just shoots the hell out of the basketball, which he has, he has shot the hell out of the basketball, not necessarily in this game, but over the past like two months, he shot the ball really well. And you will get paid in the NBA if you shoot the ball super well. And you can give like the amount of like ball pressure that he does defensively. He can create his own shot a little bit. And there's a little bit of like, we can give you a second side pick and roll or we can bring you off of a Chicago action on the, you know, when we want to in the middle of the clock at the start of the clock or at the end of the clock. There's utility there. But it with Gary, it just comes down to money. He's not going to stop Grady's ascent to anything. I don't, I don't think at all. Um, YG7 says it's just for some reason his production tanks when he comes off the bench. Um, I think that like when I was on the Raptors show last time, Blake had a stat about that. But it's that... Every player um, shoots three pointers better when they come off when they're in the starting lineup because you play with better players, you have more open shots, and the creation expectation or creation load is not as high on a guy like Gary. Um, Gary, his three point percentage last year was really closely tied to playing with Pascal. His three point percentage this year is probably really closely tied to playing with Scotty Barnes, that kind of stuff. It shouldn't be confusing that he plays better as like an ancillary player, a shooter, when he plays with the really good players. Um, Coming off the bench, he's asked to dribble more. He's asked to like delve into his own limitations and try and overcome them. Whereas with the starters, he can mostly just like shoot the ball, which is a very comfortable position for a guy who shoots the hell out of the ball. Um, Coco says rhythm maybe is better with more minutes too. Um... I don't, I don't think it's that, to be quite honest with you. I think it's just like the level of threes he shoots. And this is also something you can go look at Gary, his stats page on NBA.com, and you'll see that he's shooting open threes extremely well and wide open threes extremely well. Anything else has been really, really bad this year. So who is most likely to get him open and wide open looks? Scotty, RJ, those types of guys. So that's that's all it is. It's, it's a correlation that makes sense in my mind. Also, Coco says, can we talk about RJ in this game? Sure. I mean, he shot the hell out of the basketball and 9 of 16 from the field, 4 of 6 from downtown. Obviously, 4 of 9 from the free throw line is not good. He had 6 assists. I thought that he was really tidy in this game. I saw it on the last... I try not to look at the YouTube comments, but since I'd been kind of... had S do the one and because I had the power outage on the one, I went and looked, but um, there was a comment that was upset with how RJ had been discussed as a guy who was achieving things on second side actions and was calling it, you know, narrative drivel. I don't agree with that. And, and you know, like the people who are familiar with my work know that I recently just saw, watched all of RJ's film, tracked it and cataloged it in a way that nobody else has done. My, My work is the only work out there that has that. And there's film. So I show my work, I do my work. R.J. succeeding as a second-side guy is not an indictment of R.J. not being the guy. R.J. succeeding off of second-side actions and working in, like, tidy two-man actions at the back end of the clock or being able to work off of Scotty Barnes is not an indictment on his game. It's a superlative—like, this is a great thing. Paul George is a guy who is going to be, like, and has been one of the best players of his era— so much so because of his ability to fit anywhere into an offense and that did not diminish his star quality at least not for me i've written and covered paul george and i always thought he was like fantastic i thought he was super impressive and the fact that you could run a primary action and on the back end of it you could just stack like a pin down for paul george that he comes off of that could be backbreaking for a defense that not only like maybe it's a three out of it and like rj's not even close to the shooter that paul george is but like Paul George could turn it downhill, could make the drop-off pass if a guy shows to him, could make the spray pass to the corner if a guy shows to him, could go all the way to the bucket. RJ is a guy who's taking like all these second side actions and turning them into like really great drives to the rim, playmaking opportunities, layups for himself and others. And that's not a bad thing. To say a guy is achieving things on the second side is not a bad thing. It means that he's not even occupying those like sexy, sexy possessions that every player fights over. He's like, you guys can have that. I will literally give you high efficiency buckets in a pinch when you guys decide you're mess- done messing around with the primary action. This is a like a beautiful thing for RJ's game. This is more positive for RJ's game than him being like, okay, the Raptors set up a flare tacked onto this. Like, You know i wrote a piece about it rj the best plays that the raptors run for rj and rj like some of the primary action stuff is really good and his his talents make him like a great player to run some of these primary actions they run like a stack with him and they run a flare screen coming off of it why do they do that so that the the guy can't tag in the middle so that rj has is able to like drive to his left without a tag from the left side Which is important for a left-handed finisher and then also it means that if the help is coming it means that rj gets to make a lay down with his left hand to the middle for a layup like that kind of stuff this is great design this is a primary action this is his advantage mixed with the coach's mind mixed with the other players on the floor creating something that's intentional and that's good but it's like and that's good i'm glad but to me it's way more impressive that rj just like steps out onto the court And is like okay if you guys don't get anything on the primary action i'm gonna be in the corner and with like 11 seconds on the clock i'll shoot out of the corner come get like a you know a chicago action or a miami and like i'll turn the corner and i'll get to the rim or create a layup or a three-point corner look this is not a bad thing second side creation is still creation it's just like you're you're not saying like, oh, I'm the guy because players care about being the first guy who runs an action on the floor. And the fact that RJ is just coming out there and like sleepwalking to rim pressure, to creative layups for his teammates, creative layups for himself, and he's touching the ball way less than the other guys in the Raptors, to me, is a huge compliment to his game. And he's very impressive to me. I have had the extremely glowing coverage of RJ as a Raptor and this game was no different. Like a lot of it is like interpreting this. This is a thing in the NBA. You can give a lot of players in the NBA, like 26 pick and rolls a game and they're going, a lot of them are going to give you like somewhere between like 0.95 and 0.11 points per possession on that play, something like that. And it's because they're really skilled players and the skill level, in the NBA is really important and a lot of guys can work out of the pick and roll. Not a lot of those guys can slide in and go for 20 plus every game on like 60 plus percent true shooting like RJ's been able to. That's the impressive thing. To me, that's the more impressive thing, you know? You don't want to give the pick and rolls to guys who go like 0.95 to 0.11. You want to give the pick and rolls to the guys who go like 1.3. Luka Doncic for example. The fact that RJ can like succeed so heavily in the secondary stuff, huge compliment to his game and speaks so highly of his approach, speaks so highly of his, you know, the professionalism, and speaks so highly of his game and being able to kind of like plug it in. That stuff's awesome. Um, Coco, I hope that was enough RJ. But in this game, I thought he was that I thought he was quite good. And he also gave like there were like five or six possessions where I thought he did pretty well on Luca which the defensive acumen hasn't been like a strong suit of his on the Raptors. It hasn't been really anybody's strong suit over the past, like over the past few games it has been, but over the past like month of basketball, month and a half, they've really struggled in this game. They ended up struggling. Um, You know, they're not like world beaters. They won three in a row, but they're going to have their ups and downs still. Um, RJ, good game, impressive game. There's, there was a lot of stuff to like in this game, despite them losing by 11. The, the Mavs are good, and especially like when you get – because this was the whole thing, is that they were talking about it before the game. Tim Hardaway Jr. is the only guy on the team who scores like more than 10 points per game. And in this game, P.J. Washington goes for 23. Gafford has 13. Hardaway has 16, right? And sure, like Derek Lively has nine. Green has five. XMS four, or Derek Jones Jr. S five, sure, but like they got the pop, the secondary pop that they needed, right? And they got the pop from Luca with thirty points, sixteen assists, eleven rebounds, and they Kyrie went out there and gave you twenty nine. These Mavs are good. The, Luca had responses to everything that it took him a while on some of the responses. The Raptors found comfortable. Defensive schemes that they could run where they were comfortable with where the ball was going, catching up to it, forcing the ball out of Luca's hands. Like it was working, but Luca is one of the best players in the world. He's going to have his response. And then also, Kyrie was able to carry some of the Luca less minutes and he had his response. And they found their way. And Daniel Gafford is one of the best backup centers in the league. You get 24 minutes, you get 13 points, seven rebounds. He did have four turnovers, but like, as it breaks, man. These Mavs are a good team. The Raptors, they beat the Pacers slimly. They beat like the just terrible, terrible Brooklyn Nets, hapless, feckless Nets. You know, it's, they're not world beaters, but I tell you what they are and what is very clear. They are competitive. They're fun. They are embracing like a new brand of basketball. And they're doing it like with Grady Dick emerging, with Scotty. you know, Kind of taking on all this new volume as the main guy they're getting like unique performances from a bunch of players game to game and bbq like you can see small improvements game to game this is all great this is good you're not going to win them all micah zion says thought this game was super encouraging offensively felt like we went shot for shot with them except for one run they had in the third i think that's mostly true you know the raptors (laughs) offensively well it's in pieces, right? You know, everyone's is craving and is chasing, playing the full 48. The Mavs didn't play the full 48. Neither did the Raptors. You have drop-offs you have, it's a game of runs. It doesn't always work, but you know, we're talking about a team that is getting out there with, you know, ostensibly less talent on the roster than they used to have. And they're still competing at like a similar level to where they were. And they're playing like in my mind, like a pretty aesthetically pleasing brand of basketball. I think they're playing like a fun brand of basketball and you know, they're probably no longer the number one team coming out of the all-star break at, at three and one, but they've been fun. They've been competitive and that's what you ask for as a team that has a boatload of draft picks and you're not sure how this season shakes out. You just want to watch good basketball. That's From my point of view, it's a lot more fun to talk about like compelling basketball stuff, the machinations of what's working so I can explain it to you guys. But also like as a fan, you don't need someone like me to explain why, you know, a split action is fun. You, maybe you don't know what's called a split action. That doesn't matter. You can see that they're running an action with like Grady and Scotty and you're like, oh, that worked, that was cool. The defense didn't know how to guard that. We didn't get that much Scotty Grady split action in the first, 45 games, did we? No, but we get it now. And we get it five possessions in a row in the fourth quarter. And we see some things that work and we see some things that don't. Fun team. They've been good. I'm I'm enjoying talking about them. I'm excited to be done in Mexico, although I have to say bye to Poe, which sucks. But um, it'll be good to be back in Toronto to kind of talk to the players and, and the coaches and that kind of stuff. And also to see Dune 2 excited for that. I can't wait. Um, Hit the like button if you're a Dune fan. Um, That's probably where I'm going to leave it. 115 people watching right now, hit the like button. It helps suggest it afterwards. I don't do the drama baiting or the, you know, uh, clickbait titles or anything like that. So the way that this channel gets videos seen is by people liking what they're watching, which, you know, that's the hope. It's free, all that good stuff. Um, Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. It's been an absolute pleasure talking hoops with y'all. If you'd like to support, uh, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel for free. You can like the video for free. But Raptors Republic has been, you know, the backbone of a lot of the Raptors coverage. Even the people who occupy the highest, the highest roles covering the Raptors currently have some sort of tangible connection to Raptors Republic if they didn't outright work there. And uh, how we survive as the rest of the media landscape appears to be falling apart and laying off everybody, a subscription model. And we rely on a community that loves us and, you know, loves what we do to pay. And that's how we do it. Um, So if you want to subscribe over there, feel free. I've been Samson Folk. Raptors lose, but in a fun one. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and... Bye.